I've called this message, What Can I Do For You? And I was thinking about doing once again a traditional Palm Sunday message because that's what we're used to, isn't it, in our, in our churches? This is Palm Sunday. It's the Sunday we celebrate Jesus entering uh, Jerusalem on a, uh, the back of a donkey and people waving palm branches, you know, and usually we have kids that are paraded up with the little palm branches and that reminds of, us of that time that they were welcoming him they thought their king into the city of Jerusalem. And we'll look at that, but I want us to focus today on what takes place right before that. So we need to look at the book of Mark, the book of Mark, chapter 10. And I'm going to read to you um, verses 46 through 52 from the message version of the Bible. I've chosen this because it's a modern translation. It gives insight into some of the scriptures in a way that maybe we're not used to, and it may be refreshing for some of you to, to hear it this way. Now, Jesus and his disciples were headed to Jerusalem for a feast called Passover. You may have, you may have Jewish friends or have heard on TV or someplace about Passover. Every year they celebrate Passover, the Jewish folks. And they go to Jerusalem, if they can, to celebrate Passover. It was no different for Jesus and his disciples. It was a, it was a joyous occasion as they remembered their deliverance out of uh, Egypt. Remember the blood over the doorpost and the lamb slain and all that, all that uh, they had been taught back in uh, the time of Moses. And they remembered every year to this day. They don't want to forget that. So this is a great celebration. They had left Capernaum up in Galilee, up in the northern part of Israel, about 90 miles away from Jerusalem and started the trek down to uh, Jericho and then up to Jerusalem. And this is where we picked them up. It says they spent some time in Jericho. We don't know exactly how much time, but it read different ones of the Gospels, and you can see that they spent some time in the city of Jericho. As Jesus was leaving town, trailed by his disciples in a parade of people, a blind beggar by the name of Bartimaeus, anytime in Scripture you see bar, it means son of Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, was sitting alongside the road. When he heard that Jesus, of, Jesus the Nazarene was passing by, he began to cry out, Son of David, Jesus, mercy, have mercy on me. Now many tried to hush him up, but he yelled all the louder, Son of David, mercy, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped in his tracks. Call him over, he said. They called him. It's your lucky day. Get up. He's calling you to come. Throwing off his coat, he, Bartimaeus, was on his feet at once and came to Jesus. And Jesus said, what can I do for you? 
What can I do for you? The blind man said, Rabbi, which means teacher. It would mean that he's a believer, a disciple of Jesus. Rabbi, I want to see. On your way, said Jesus, your faith has saved and healed you. In that very instant, he recovered his sight and followed Jesus down the road. Actually, up the road. I don't know why they said down the road. We're going to look at that in a little bit, too. Jesus' question to Bartimaeus is, what can I do for you? Do you, Bartimaeus, want to give up begging? Do you really want to give up begging? Do you want to live differently? Do you want to begin working for a living? Do you want to have no reason to sit by the roadside all day whining at the passers-by? Do you really? And Bartimaeus wants new life. Not only sight, but the chance to follow Jesus. That's what he wants. So I'm going to ask you right now to close your eyes. This is dangerous because some of you will be asleep. Close your eyes, all of you. Just close your eyes. And I want you to imagine when I tell you to open your eyes, and you open them slowly, that you're seeing for the very first time. Or that you're seeing for the first time in many years. We don't know which was the case with Bartimaeus. And now, I want you to imagine that the very first thing that you see is Jesus. Right in front of you. On his way up to Jerusalem. Okay, open your eyes slowly and see what you see. I believe that Bartimaeus is a model for us to imitate. You may have never heard of him before. It's tucked away here in the book of Mark. Unlike the disciples who hadn't really understood what Jesus was all about, Bartimaeus, it seems, was already a man of faith. He recognizes who Jesus is, the son of David. The son of David, the title given to the king. Remember, Scripture said that the king would come through David's line, a descendant of David, son of David. He believes, Bartimaeus believes, that Jesus can help him. And Jesus says to him, your faith has saved you. And he doesn't just leave it there, he acts. Now, many, many of us recognize who Jesus is. Many of us believe that he can help us, and we leave it right there. But Bartimaeus acts. He leaves his begging, and he follows Jesus. He puts action to his faith. 
In the scriptures, just before this Bartimaeus account, if you, if you have your Bibles, you can look back probably one, one or two sections, subheadings there in, in your Bibles. And Jesus said to James and John, two of his disciples, who were arguing over their place in this kingdom that was going to come, Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? Almost the same question. But all he got from them was a request for power, a request for prestige, and a a request for glory. Self-serving, to say the least. That's what they wanted. The healing of Bartimaeus, I believe, is a sign that Jesus is the one who would give his life to make salvation possible for everyone. 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 Not just special people. Not just priests in the temple. Not just rabbis who taught in the temple. Not just synagogue leaders. Everyone. Salvation was possible for everyone. And and the big idea that I have for you today comes from that. The key to salvation is faith. That's what Bartimaeus had was faith. Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 9 from the New International Version says, For it is by grace you have been saved. How? Through faith. And this doesn't come from yourselves. It's the gift of God. Faith is a gift from God. It's not something that you have. It's something that God gives to you. Faith. Faith. It's a gift from God, not by works. You can't do enough good stuff to save yourself. There's no way that we could possibly, in a lifetime of good deeds, do enough To be good enough in God's eye to go to heaven. It doesn't work that way. It comes by faith. Why? So that none of us can boast about what we have done. It's not me. It's Him. It's not you. It's Him. We put Him first. We put our faith in Him. Not in what I can do or you can do or or your Sunday school teacher can do, or your husband or wife can do. The faith is in Him, in Jesus, alone. That's why I can say with assurance to you this morning, standing right here, that anyone, anyone, even those normally excluded from pure or polite society, anyone can be saved. Do you believe that? Anyone can be saved. Not just good people. Bad people can be saved. How many people do you know that have had their lives transformed by Jesus? Turned around. Some of us right here. I mean, who are we to think that we're better than anybody else? Faith is open to anyone. Faith is open to everyone. And I've found, there's a good thing about being old, is you you learn some things along the way, hopefully, that you can pass on to other people. I've found that 
often it's the unexpected people who seem to have the strongest faith. It's not us in the church. It's them out there sometimes that have the strongest faith. Let me read you a letter that I got this week. It comes to me from J. Reuben Long Detention Center. We go over, some of us, I haven't been as involved in this particular course, but some of us go over every Friday just about to take food and to carry on an alpha course with the, with the guys at J. Reuben Long. Uh, on March the 31st, a couple of weeks ago, we had our Alpha Holy Spirit weekend with them. You know what? That's not correct. We had healing time with them where we prayed for healing. We had already had the weekend some, a couple of weeks before that. It was healing weekend. And I had an opportunity to pray with a young man, and he wrote me this letter. He said, Dear George, how are you, my friend? <laughs> First off, I want to say thank you for the powerful prayer you prayed with me. I got to tell you, there wasn't any power in the prayer. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray that same prayer with you here in a minute. There wasn't any power in my words. The power was in what Jesus did with him. The Holy Spirit came and visited him. I've been thinking about what you told me ever since I left Alpha today about the wrongs I've committed. Tonight, I've started writing them down and sincerely asking God for his forgiveness for each one of those, just like you told me. I wanted to ask you if you would pass along this message to the congregation. Ask them if they will pray for my family, my girlfriend and her family. My dad is battling drug addiction. Just pray for all of them and pray that God's will be done in my life as he sees fit. Thank you all at Renovation Church for your loving kindness. I pray that all of your families prosper and remain in good health. And if anyone is sick, that God will bring healing. In Jesus' name, amen. With much love, Chris. Chris. I understand that when Chris showed up in this alpha group, he was one of the most incorrigible guys there. He, he looks like a model. I mean, he's a good-looking guy, but he's got tattoos everywhere. He's got the little teardrop tattoo here. Uh... He's Mr. Tough Guy. I guess he has to be. He wanted a different way of life. And he, he actually cried out to me that day. He said, George, please pray with me. <laughs> you know what a privilege that is? Privilege to get to pray for someone like that. You see, faith to a great extent... Recognizing who Jesus is 
and trusting that he has the power to rescue anyone, that's faith. That's faith. Recognizing who Jesus is, but not just that, not just stopping there. Trusting him, putting your, your whole heart, everything you have, leaving everything behind, trusting that he has the power to rescue, to save, to heal anyone, anyone, even me, even you. He has the power. Now, sometimes uh, I'm told that I don't, I don't do much of an application. I want to teach you an application this morning that's going to be, that has the potential to be life-changing for you. And I've talked about it a number of times in here before, at least a dozen times before. I hope today it takes. Because you can use this with any scripture. You can use it at any time. You can use it in any place. And I want us together to use it this morning with this scripture about Bartimaeus. I used to use this exercise a lot in my messages. And I realized that I haven't done it in a long time. Now, some of you are going to like it, I can tell you this, and some of you are going to think it's the dumbest thing that I've ever asked you to do. This account of Jesus' saving and healing the blind Bartimaeus lends itself particularly well to this kind of exercise, the exercise of slow, patient meditation. Meditation, not, you know, you know, meditation, but meditation. Thinking through the scripture that we just read, almost word by word. And if it's a scripture that has characters in it, it's that much easier to do because we can put ourselves in the place of those characters. And that's what I want you to do today. I've already asked you to, remind, to, to uh, think of yourself as being blind and opening your eyes for the first time and seeing Jesus right there in front of you. That's pretty powerful in itself. So I want you to close your eyes again. Taking another chance here. Close your eyes. Imagine yourself as part of the crowd that day in Jericho. It's hot. It's dry. It's dusty. The wind's blowing dirt and dust here and there. But you're excited. You're excited because you're traveling with Jesus. You're going up to Jerusalem with him for the Passover feast. And now listen. You hear someone shouting from the roadside. And it's getting louder. What a nuisance. What a nuisance. It's even louder now. And, and you know that this could be dangerous 
If enough people are calling Jesus son of David, the authorities might be alarmed about it and come and lock everybody up. So I want you to examine your feelings. How are you feeling? What are you thinking right now? Can you remember any other time that you felt that very same way? Now in your mind, watch as Jesus turns to speak to that blind man. How do you feel about that? Do you really want this beggar joining our parade? Going up to Jerusalem? How about when Jesus speaks warm and welcoming words to him? To the blind man who was shouting. Has he ever spoken that way to you? Ever? Warm and welcoming words? If so, how did he make you feel? As you start up the hill toward Jerusalem, what are you thinking? We all have something, not necessarily a physical ailment. Your eyes are still closed. <laughs> that we know is getting in our way. There's something that each one of us has that's getting in our way of being the people that God wants us to be. Of being the people that God made us to be. Now I want you to imagine yourself as the blind man, Bartimaeus. You're sitting by the roadside. And you hear in the distance and then getting louder and louder and louder a crowd of people coming. How do you feel when you discover that it's Jesus that's actually coming by? Call out to him. Call out to him. At the top of your lungs, call out to him. And when he calls back to you, watch yourself put everything aside and go to him. And when he asks you, sitting here right now, what can I do for you? Go for it. Sitting here right now, tell him. Pour out your heart to him. Don't look back at all the small, selfish comforts of victimhood, of bondage. Ask him for freedom. From whatever that is. Ask Him for salvation. Ask Him to rescue you from the mess that you're in right now. Ask Him to take away the bondage of sin in your life. Ask Him to heal 
that physical ailment that you have. And when you get it, be prepared to follow him. Wherever he goes, wherever he might go. Okay, you can wake up your neighbor now. Now, to go from Jericho up to Jerusalem involves a long, hard climb. Even if you're in a bus or a car, it's a long, hard climb up that hill. You see, Jericho is the lowest city on the earth. It's 800 feet below sea level. And Jerusalem is 3,000 feet above sea level. And it's 12 miles away from Jericho. So in those 12 miles, you're climbing 3,800 feet. They were on foot. The road goes through hot, dry desert all the way up to the top of the Mount of Olives. You've heard of the Mount of Olives probably. And suddenly you have the first glimpse of Jerusalem. Wow. I mean, it takes your breath away. There's a sense of exhilaration. Just to see this place that you've thought about so often. There's a sense of delight with the festival that's going on. There's a sense of relief that, wow, I even made it. It's a long climb. It's a long way from Galilee, 90 miles away, up to Jerusalem. And to that excitement, you can add the Feast of Passover, one of the most joyous feasts in the Jewish calendar. And you're going to Jerusalem with Jesus. The crowd's coming up to the temple The temple where the one true living God has chosen to place his name and more importantly to place his presence. The place where through daily sacrifices he had assured Israel of forgiveness. He had assured Israel of a future. He had assured Israel of fellowship with him throughout all of eternity. That's kind of where we are. And now, it's Palm Sunday. Back to the book of Mark, chapter 11. I've just picked out some verses here. When they were nearing Jerusalem at Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent off two of his disciples with instructions and We don't have to read all the instructions. Basically, he said, go over to the town there, and you're going to find a colt tied up. uh, Untie that colt and bring it back, and I'm going to use that thing to ride into Jerusalem. And they did. There were coats put on the back of the donkey so he wouldn't be riding bareback. The people gave him a wonderful welcome, some throwing their coats on on the street, I mean, if this is the king, if this is the king, you don't want him getting dusty, so you take off your garments and throw it on the ground so that there won't be dust coming up as this donkey goes by. 
others spreading out rushes they had cut in the fields for the same purpose. Running ahead and following after, they were calling out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in God's name. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. They thought, they knew that this was the king coming to Jerusalem. And he was going to boot out those Romans once and for all. And it was going to be all over. It was their country again. They could hardly wait. There was such great excitement. Hosanna in the highest heaven. He entered Jerusalem, then entered the temple. He looked around, taking it all in. One of the gospels said, then he left and went back to Bethany. If he were to walk in here today and look around and take all of our hearts in, you think he'd turn and walk out? Or would he want to stay here? have his presence be felt here and teach and heal and save after all he is the king but he's the king of kings and Mark leaves us in suspense at least, at least for this moment Leaves us in suspense as to what will happen next. You've got to read on. When this king, this Jesus, makes his presence felt in his own city, the city of Jerusalem. Now, Thursday night, you're going to have an opportunity to come here, and we're going to have a different kind of service. It's going to be a service where... I'm going to do almost no talking at all. I think we may have music. We may have some music. But this, the service is not about the music. The service is about the opportunity for you to remember what happened after he entered the city until he was crucified and buried. That's what Thursday night will be about. Bring your Bibles. You'll find them valuable. As I've listed some 25 scriptures, I think, in, in, the, in the handout that I have for you that take you step by step through that week. As you can relive. And you can use this application that we've talked about today, this exercise. As you go through that week. See how you would have felt, how you would have reacted during that week. The service is at 7.15. We're doing it at 7.15 because we want it to be fairly dark outside. We'll have lots of candles and low lighting. The front of the 
worship center here will be open for you to come and pray. You can pray in this area over here. You can pray at your seat. We'll have ministry folks around if you would like to pray with them. It's a very introspective time. Time for you to get in touch with the king. We did this, I think, last year and and had such, I, I wasn't going to repeat it again this year, but we had such response to it last year. I thought, we got to do this again. You know? We will come and we will leave on Thursday night in total silence. It's a different kind of service. But it prepares us for next Sunday, which is Resurrection Sunday. We'll talk about that more in a minute. I think we have a video that takes us into the city of Jerusalem. Is that right? The next day, the great crowd that had gathered heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. This crowd praised him. They celebrated his miracles and with great expectation told everyone about him. But they did not know him. They were waiting for someone who would rule with strength and might. But he came as a humble servant. They wanted him to finally bring their people glory. But he wanted to change them so their lives would bring God glory. They were expecting a general who would crush their enemies. But he came, saying, love your enemies. They thought he could offer them deliverance from their oppressors. But he came, offering deliverance from sin. This crowd would soon realize that Jesus wasn't going to be what they wanted. And they turned on him before they ever realized he was what they needed. So as they yelled, crucify! Pilate asked Jesus, Are you a king? Jesus answered, I am not that kind of king. His kingdom isn't what you see here. It won't be established by chaos and war. His kingdom is in our hearts. His kingdom is truth. His kingdom is goodness. His kingdom is righteousness. He is the humble king, the king of healing, the king of forgiveness, the king of love. Today, we lift our voices. We cry, Hosanna, save us. Save us from our sin. Come dwell in our hearts. Hosanna, we worship you. Jesus Christ, our king. That's really what it's about. This day, this Palm Sunday. That same crowd, by the following Friday, had turned against him. And they were the, they were the ones that hollered, crucify him. Sometimes we think maybe that was another group of people. No, these were the same folks that were welcoming him, saying, Hosanna. They turned against him because he wasn't what they wanted him to be. 
He didn't come to be what they wanted him to be. He came to be so they could become what God wanted them to become. There's a transaction that takes place at this table every week when we're together. That same transaction. It's the Lord's table. He's the one that thought this idea up. Thought up the idea of having a simple loaf of bread, something that is nothing special, a simple bottle of wine that you can buy at any grocery store, nothing special, giving thanks to these things, sanctifying these elements, and suddenly there's a change. Suddenly these things become a sign, a sacrament that he left for us to remember that when he took bread, he broke it, and he said, friends, this this is my body that's broken for each one of you. Remember, anyone can be saved. And he took a cup after the meal and poured wine in, saying, this cup... This cup is the new covenant. It's in my blood that's poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. Up till that point, God had ordained that sacrifices were to be made at the temple. But we read that the temple, after this time, is here and here in each one of our hearts. There's no need for a temple in Jerusalem anymore. There's no need for a parade from Jericho up to Jerusalem. That parade takes place here. Every time we remember that this is his body, this is his blood poured out for our sins. It reminds us of his death. We have baskets up here at the front that are for your um, Connect cards. I don't guess we have Alpha registrations right now. But for your Connect cards, for your tithes, and for your offerings. And, you know what, we may only need two. And at each station we have uh, juice in case you prefer not to use the wine that are in the cups here. This is in tincture, which means we will take the bread and dip it into the wine and then eat. Jesus is inviting each one of you to come to his table this morning. And he's calling you by name. Won't you come? Come. Just now. He has healing. He has salvation. He has love for you. Come.